right, open your Bibles tonight again to Proverbs chapter number 28, Proverbs 28, and the best I remember we got down through verse number 18 last time, and so we pick up tonight in verse number 19. Verse that talks about a dirty four-letter word. Yeah, that's it. Verse 19. He that telleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. Well, that proverb sets forth a principle that takes us all of the way back through history to the very first man. And you'll remember where where God said to Adam, in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. Uh, you know, if that was the only reference to work found in the Bible, that, you know, that ought to be enough to establish it as something that is important in God's sight. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible has a great deal to say about the importance of work. We're not going to try to trace down all of the, all of the verses, but there are many that, uh, that relate to that. In fact, Paul said, If a man won't work, neither shall he eat. An old preacher many years ago by the name of Charles Bridges, I know I've quoted from him many times because he wrote what was to me, I think, the most helpful book on uh, on the book of Proverbs that's ever been written. And uh, he commented, he said, Man was not born to be a stone without energy or a machine to be moved by mere passive force. Our true happiness is active dependence. You know, that's something a lot of people overlook. We got the, you know, the idea that, uh, that if we could just, you know, get ourselves in a situation where we didn't have to work, everything would be all right. Well, it really wouldn't. We'd be miserable. It kind of, you know, reminds me of the story about the guy who was sitting out there on the dock fishing and somebody else come by and, and uh, I, I won't get it all right, but the essence of the story is they engage in conversation, and and uh, the one fellow, you know, asked him, you know, what he did, and he got to talking about uh, retirement and what have you, and uh, he said, why, why do you want to retire? And uh, uh, to the to the other fellow. And uh, he said, well, you know, so I won't have to work, and so I can do like you're doing, just sit out here on the dock and, you know, and, and fish all of the time. And uh, and that's that's the way some people think. You know, I, I, ever since I was a kid, I've loved to fish. Of course, I haven't fished in ten, over 10 years now at all, but uh, that's all right. I'm not complaining about it. If I had to fish every day, I'd go stark raving mad, you know, or whatever it is, you know, that does not relate to ministry. Because, you know, for me, that's the work God has called me to. I can remember a lot of times we, you know, we think, hey, well, boy, that's, that's easy. Well, you, you try it. Somebody said, you know, what's the hardest work you've ever done? And believe me, I've chopped timber with a double-bitted axe, and I've drove grade stakes in, in solid rock fields and what have you all day long and done all of that. The hardest thing is sitting at a desk all day. 
I mean, that does things to your body that, uh, I know what you're thinking. Well, you need to get a plan and exercise. Yeah, I know you're right, but I, I failed to do that. And uh, But the, the point is, I, over the years, I've seen so many people that retired just as quick as they could, you know, and they'd be dead within six months. You know, there's just something about something about hard work and purpose, and and, and realizing uh, you know the the importance of it that I think helps anybody. Uh, and, and so here we see that the promise is that they shall have plenty of bread. You know, God's simply saying, if you work, you go out and you you know you break the ground, plant the seed reap the crop, you'll have bread. It's the law of sowing and reaping, and it's never changed whether you're talking about things that are good or things that are bad. And uh, it's just God's way of saying that He'll care for those who, you know, who take care of the, of the crops and the harvest. But if we follow the bad example of vain persons, notice here's the contrast. If we follow the the vain persons, you know, he says, uh, we'll have poverty enough. By vain, he's talking about people that are slothful, and uh, he's saying they shall experience poverty. And I know there are exceptions to that uh, to some extent because, uh, you know, there are some people that never turned a tap in their life, and it so happened they inherited a lot of money, and you know, they seem to get by with that. But as a general rule, and don't ever forget that the book of Proverbs is all about probabilities. It's not promises necessarily. Now, there are some promises in there, but it's, you know, they can be substantiated by other verses of Scripture and what have you. And the general rule is, you know, that if we don't work, eventually we're not going to eat. Besides that, slothfulness is a sin. A lot of folks, you know, they don't think of it that way. They think, you know, if I can get by with it, you know, uh, good for me. No, not really, because God intended that we work. And whenever we don't meet God's conditions, we can't or shouldn't complain about the consequences. Because God has given us a promise, you know, you sow the seed and I'll give you the harvest. And, and, you know, somebody sat back and said, well, you know, I just don't feel like getting out there in the hot sun, or I don't feel like getting up that early in the morning. That's too much hard work. I've got other plans. I'm just going to sit in the rocking chair and whittle on a stick and whistle Dixie while the world goes by, and, uh, and you can starve that way. You know, somebody can sit on the porch and say, well, you know, I'm just going to pray for a good crop. Nothing's more important than prayer. So I'm, I'm just going to every day, I'm just going to spend a couple hours a day in prayer. Well, prayer is a wonderful thing. Everything depends on it. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't plant the seed, I don't care how much you pray, you're not going to get a harvest, you see. And so it's important. And this, so this principle here is setting forth something that we need to give serious heed to. Verse 20, a faithful man. Oh, the first three letters of this proverb just kick the door down as to the vast array of things that could be said. I mean, right there is a sermon in itself. Just those three words, a faithful man. And notice what he says about him. He says, he shall abound with blessings. 
But he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. You know, what, what greater thing could be said about a person than to, to say that he is faithful? Fidelity is, is the divine standard that God himself set. That's, that's the standard by which all of us are going to be measured and rewarded. So whenever we get to heaven, it's not only about our fortune and fame and all the other things that this world treasures, but it's going to be whether we're faithful or not. And the wonderful thing about faithfulness is that anybody can be faithful because faithfulness requires different things from different people is, is the analogy that I've used so many times. Somebody there in a nursing home, and you know they get to the point they can't, can't get out and go to church. They can't get out and do a lot of things that healthy folks can do, but they can be faithful right there where they are, and God's going to reward their faithfulness. And so, and boy, let me tell you, if the world needs anything, it needs faithful people. I'm talking about people that are reliable, people that you can depend upon. A year or two ago, I was talking to someone that was, and I can't remember where it was, naturally, but is in the food industry. I don't know whether it was McDonald's or one of those places, and they were talking about hiring people and said, you know, all the time we hire these people to come in work. We give them a job. They don't even come back. They don't even show up, you know, for the first day of work. And, and that, that's a serious problem in America today. And to find someone that you can really depend upon that's trustworthy, that's honest, that is upright, let me tell you, they are a rare breed of people. They're few and far between uh, because most people just don't value fidelity as much as they should. You know, a lot of people, you know, they might admire it in others to some extent, but they don't seek it for themselves. And, and the sad thing is, you know, a man or a woman can spend their entire life being faithful to God and they're going to be rewarded for it. But the sad thing is, it's like Corey was talking, there are all of those other people that watch them all of those years, and they never see the value of what those people are doing. There's no way for us to measure, to even estimate the great contribution that faithful people have made to our country or to this church. Thank God for faithful people, you see. And so whenever we look at this, we need to be mindful of how important it is to God. But I want to keep this all in the context now. And when we look back at the context, context notice that the contrasting part of the verse here defines the way in which faithfulness is, is spoken. He says the faithful man, notice, is the opposite of the person that hastens to be rich. In other words, people that have made gold, they're God. Now, don't misunderstand because he's not saying that a faithful man can't be rich. There are people who are rich and faithful. But the idea here is that the faithful man is not somebody that is covetous, not somebody that is seeking after riches, but somebody who is faithful, somebody that works hard, somebody that, you know, that is reliable, that can be depended upon. And uh, as a result of that, you know, they prosper. And uh, on the other hand, you know, he that maketh haste to be rich, the person, you know, that 
puts that ahead of everything else. Notice it says, shall not be innocent. And so, you know, here again, that brings us back to God. It's not just a matter of losing your job because you're unfaithful. It's not just a matter of failing to make a contribution to society. Notice it says that he shall not be innocent. And so that brings us back to God's opinion uh, of the covetous person, of the person, you know, that wants but won't work, the person that can't be depended upon. And again, they have to answer to God for that. And that's why Paul went to such great length to to warn people there in First Timothy 6 and verse number 9. And he talks about uh, those, you know, that seek after riches. He said, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Well, think about that. I mean, that's, that's quite a scary thing when you stop and think about it. You know, and it might be that in the eyes of the world that a person will be highly successful because they've set goals for themselves and having established those goals, I mean, they, you know, they gear everything according to their agenda that hopefully will lead to reaching those goals. And they do. Uh, just like my youth director one time many years ago told me that his goal was to be a millionaire by the time that he was 30. And, of course, he, he didn't make that. In fact, it just ruined him spiritually for a while. But thank God he's pastoring the church up in Oklahoma today. But, uh, well, he was. He passed away here a few months ago. But, uh, but the point is that whenever we set out to make, you know, our primary interest to get rich, or you can add to that, to be famous or anything other than God, then we've got our priorities all out of whack. And it's not going to end well. It never does. Now, verse number 21. Verse 21. To have respect of persons is not good. For a piece of bread, that man will transgress. Now, the first part of this is just simply reminding us here that partiality is wrong. But don't misunderstand that because he's not saying that it's wrong to love some people more than you love other people. Somebody says, well, if you're really impartial, you'll love everybody the same. No, you won't. You ought to love your wife more than anybody else, you see. And he's not saying that there's something wrong with assisting some people and not assisting others. Because let's face it, none of us can assist everybody. We can't meet every need in the world. That's impossible. We don't have the resources to do that. Uh, you know, as a, as a parent, I'm obligated to supply the needs of my children. I don't mind doing something nice for the kids in the neighborhood, but uh, I'm under no obligation to them in that sense. That's not my responsibility. That's the responsibility of their parents, you see. And nor is this to say that, that you know, that, that we can't have some friends that are closer than others. It was a, when I first started preaching, I, it was a whole different world. And uh, my dear pastor, I mean, he, he meant well. He wanted to help all he could. 
And I learned right off of the bat that as a pastor, you're not supposed to wear any brightly colored clothing. It ought to be black, charcoal, or gray. Navy blue was okay. But, uh, you know, you had to be very conservative in the way you dress because of the way, you know, what people might think. And it might, might have been something to that back then. But another thing that, that uh, he told me and that a lot of the preachers believe, you can't get close to the members of the church. You're their pastor, not their friend. You can't let yourself get close because if you do, then you're going to offend somebody else in the church. And let me tell you, <laughs> over the years, believe me, I've seen people, I've seen that very problem happen in churches, and not always just with the preacher and his relationship with other people, but people amongst themselves. A valuable lesson that everybody needs to learn is that everybody can't be your best friend. And you know, as a human being, I have a right to be more close to some people than I am to others. Uh, I, you know, I've got that right, and, and, and so do you. Everybody can't be your best friend. The problem has to do with partiality here in the sense that we are obligated to treat everyone fairly. You see, that's the important part. Uh, and, and notice the second half of this verse because... And, and this is really an amazing thought when you stop and think about it. He's talking about the subject of partiality. Notice he says, And for a piece of bread, that man, the person that is partial, will transgress. <laughs> Some people will pervert justice for nothing more than a piece of bread, is what he's saying. And that shows, you know, what fools you know, partiality can make out of people. That phrase, piece of bread, was commonly used in a proverbial sense back then to describe the most extreme point of poverty. In other words, if all you have is a piece of bread, man, you were flat dab broke. I mean, you were at the bottom of the barrel, just a piece of bread. Well, we think about injustice in the world today. And it's a sad, sad thing whenever a judge would pervert justice for a large sum of money. And we all know that happens. Either a large sum of money, you know, paid directly to him or a favor given to him. But some way or another, someone commits a crime. They get one of these high dollar lawyers and they just have a way of getting people off the hook. And that is a horrible, terrible Sad thing to think that a law, a judge, a man in that position would do something like that. But it happens. Uh, but notice here, perverting justice for money is one thing. But notice here, this is for a piece of bread. It's something that won't profit him anything. You know what that tells me? It tells me that sometimes the slightest temptation pushes some people over the edge. You know, it's not like they had the opportunity, they found a bag of money that fell off a Brinks truck and got a million dollars in it, you know. And boy, I mean, you know, that would put a person to the test as, as to their honesty, but there's some people cheat you out of a penny. I mean, anything. They're dishonest, and, and it doesn't take much at all. 
And, and I think that's a good reason for us to avoid the very appearance of evil. Just stay away from it. And whenever it comes to dealing with one another in the church, you know, we've got to, we've got to make sure that even though we have our close friends, even though we love our family, you know, more than we love anybody else and what have you, we need to treat everyone with dignity and respect. We need to, you know, to be fair with one another. And uh, that's what God requires. Now, verse number 22. Verse 22. He that hasteneth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Now, notice that phrase, an evil eye. That speaks about a person that is envious or somebody that is jealous, uh, grudgingly, uh, at the same time somebody that is covetous. And uh, notice what this man does. It says, he hasteneth to be rich. In other words, he's discontent with what he's got. He wants more than he has. And he, he you know, works hard, as it were, in order to get rich. And uh, that's his priority, to get rich quick. Uh, and so that's his goal in life. And you think about the millions down through the ages that have fallen into that trap and i know people over and over again just you know sometimes all it takes to get somebody out of out of the will of god is for satan to wave a little bit bigger check at somebody you know a promotion in their job but but you know the catch is you got to move to timbuktu far too way to go to church you know you you've got to quit serving God and uh, so forth and move away. And that's all it takes for some people. It's a little bit more money, and it puts us in great danger. And notice he says that such people that they consider not, they fail to, you know, to count the cost. They consider not that poverty shall come upon him. Now, whenever we think about poverty, the first thing that comes into our mind is a lack of funds. We're going to be broke, going to lose what we've got. But, you know, there's poverty in other senses, you know. We can be spiritually bankrupt. And so many times, you know, that we don't think of ourselves as being in that condition. But, but one way or the other, uh, you know, that attitude, that evil eye, that covetous spirit is going to eventually lead to poverty. It, it might be poverty in regards to our relationships with other people, you see. Because a lot of people that have, you know, strived to get to the top have done so by stepping on the little people. And sooner or later, that catches up with them. Now, verse 23. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. I suspect all of us would answer yes to this question. Have you ever felt the the need to rebuke or maybe just to give counsel to somebody that you really cared about? I mean, you know, it's a it's a friend, it's a colleague, or but somebody you care deeply about, and yet something has happened, and and they are in need of wise counsel or a stern rebuke, and it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. You know, I, 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 I despise the attitude of, 
you know, regarding preachers, you know, that get them told attitude. And, and I despise it because that's exactly the way I spent the first year of my ministry, that getting them told attitude. And, and, you know, I don't ever intend to stop preaching about sin and naming sin and so forth. But look, I do not for one moment enjoy rebuking people. I, I don't, I never did enjoy spanking my children. I mean, that never brought a smile to my face. And so whenever, you know, whenever we're dealing with people that we love, we would generally avoid that, you know, because we love them. You know, and we know that that when we do, that we risk offending them. It's just pretty hard to sit down with somebody and say, "Look, brother, you know, you know how much I love you. You know how much I care." But I've been watching you lately, and I've I've just noticed that you're just slipping further and further away from the Lord. And, and what you're saying is true. And what you're saying might be needful, it might be appropriate and everything else, and God might be leading you to do that very thing. But you know when I do this, they just might be offended. Uh, and instead of speaking the truth in love to people, we're more prone to what? Flattering them. Because we know everybody loves to be flattered, you know. Well, you know, I don't want to risk my friendship by telling them the truth, you know, so I'll just, I'll say something that is flattering to them. But the point of the proverb is that eventually, eventually, afterwards, you'll notice he says, afterwards, he that rebuketh a man, afterwards shall find more favor. And the point of that is that sooner or later, that dear friend that you tried to, to counsel or that dear friend that you gave a word of rebuke later on down the road, they will come to their senses and realize you had their best interest at heart and they'll love you all the more for it instead of just flattering them. You know, just leaving the impression, well, you know, uh, none of us are perfect, but uh, boy, I just really admire you for this and admire you for that. And, and, and you know, sometimes we... Uh, we become so such phony baloney that they know it's all put on and that's offensive to, to anyone. And so we do ourselves a favor and our friends a favor whenever we speak the truth. Do it in love, but speak the truth when it's necessary, when it's going to be helpful. And there are sometimes we're better off to not say a word until God opens up the door. And I've noticed over the years God has a way of doing that. And so many times, you know, people won't listen and, or, or maybe, you know, we, we feel like we need to say a word of rebuke. And if we'll just wait on God sooner or later, it, it might, you might be eating lunch together or something. And there'll be something that comes up and that leads right into the discussion about the subject. And God will give you the wisdom to deal with it then. Well, verse number 24. Verse 24, Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and saith, It's no transgression. The same is the companion of a destroyer. You know, whenever I read this, my first thought is, how could a person stoop so low as to rob their parents? How could, how could you do that? 
And then I think back. I think back to when I was a teenager and just started driving and uh, was prone to stay out late at night. And I'd never stole anything from my mom and dad in the life. Dad, dad could have laid his billfold out in in the open. I would have never done that. But I'd been out, and it was real late. They had already gone to bed. We had a little one, two, three, three-room house with a kitchen, and uh, and mom and dad at that time they were sleeping in one of those pull-out couches in the front room. And so I came in way after they went to bed, probably midnight or something, and the car was out of gas. And I'll never, never forget and will always be ashamed of the fact that I went over there as quiet as I could, got in Daddy's pocket, jeans were laying right there, and got 50 cents out of his pocket and took that so I could go back out and put gas in the car. Because you get over two gallons worth of gas in the car for fifty cents back then, and and, and, you, you, and I'm telling you, for the rest of my life, that has stuck with me. To think that I would steal from my daddy, the same daddy that said, uh, and I've heard him say it so many times. You kids may never have all of the things you want, but I'll guarantee you one thing: as long as I can work, you'll never lack for food to eat. And we didn't. Daddy never made a lot of money, but he took care of his family. And here I am stealing from him. But you know, then as I thought about this verse, I began to realize actually this is something that happens all of the time. Because, you know, to rob somebody is to take something uh, from them unlawfully. We can do that in a lot of ways. It might be stealing from our parents. It it might be the spendthrift who just literally wastes their parents' money. It might be the sluggard that refuses to work to support themselves because, well, well, mom and dad will take care of me. It might be a failure to pay back loans. It might be, you know, refusing to provide for the needs of the parents later on in life. And a good lesson for every child to learn is that it's wrong for a child to assume that what belongs to their parents belongs to them. And a lot of them do. A lot of them do. You know, there's something about going back home. And I know the old saying, you can't ever go back home. I know exactly what's meant by that, and it's true. But there's still something going back to mom and dad's. I mean, even after you're married and you've got kids of your own and you stop in to see mom and dad and to visit. And and I always felt so comfortable just walking through the house or opening the drawer because I knew where mom basically kept everything and going to the refrigerator and getting something out of that. I, I didn't feel compelled to ask, you know, can I... Can I make myself a sandwich or anything like that. No, I had that I'm-at-home feeling. But there's a big difference between that and me going in there and assuming, well, they've got it and I want it, and so it's all right for me to take it. We, we never have, have that right, you see. And, 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 and notice 
what a grievous sin this is because he he puts the person who does this in the same camp. Notice uh, the same companion, the same as the companion of a destroyer. Uh, you know, here here's somebody that is destructive, somebody that, uh, and you go through the Bible and look at all of the instances, somebody that's no, no better than a thief that that'll steal to rob their own parents. You know, we've got a greater obligation to our parents than we do, you know, to anyone else other than our immediate family, our spouse and our children. And, and we have a lifelong responsibility to our parents. And, and certainly we ought to honor them and show them our gratitude. None of us had perfect parents. None of us. I love my dad and mom so very much. But neither one of them were perfect. But I'll tell you what, I thank God for the fact that God used them to take care of me. And God forbid that I do anything to show disrespect toward them. Well, let's go one more verse. Verse 25. Oh, no. This is, this is one of those that, boy, you could just camp out here a long time. And I'll promise I'll try not to do that. He that is of a proud heart. Boy, you just put millions right there in that group. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. But he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. You know, I, and especially the older I get, I get so tired of strife. You know, it's one of the main reasons why this world is such a difficult place to to live in because it seems like everywhere you turn there's somebody fighting someone about something and we find strife in in every area of life families that that are constantly fighting amongst themselves and churches that have a reputation for you know having one church split after another but notice here he's telling us that strife comes as a result of pride Proverbs 13 and verse number 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. And we all should despise contention. And notice, it's only by pride that that comes. So, now, we all know that we're not going to get rid of the pride, you know, as long as we're in this world. That's not going to happen until Christ comes and sets up His kingdom. But every one of us ought to make our contribution in our little part of this world to be peacemakers rather than troublemakers. And that takes humility. We can't think of ourselves as being better than other people and what have you. We can't, you know, think of ourselves as the elite and looking down our nose at others. And, uh, and so if we want to avoid, if we want to avoid strife, we've got to get rid of pride. Now, notice he says, He that is a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord. It's important that we notice that because what he's doing is associating pride with unbelief. Because talking about somebody that puts their trust in the Lord, they're going to be made fat, which is another word that was used to mean prosperous. They're going to prosper. Those who put their trust in the Lord, that have faith in God, put their confidence in God. So here he's talking about, you know, the, 
the 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 proud person having a problem actually with unbelief and you know sometimes we we think about how could unbelief result or relate to the subject of pride well very easily because whenever we think about unbelief what you know what we're saying in essence is we do not we do not trust God in the sense that we're not willing to obey what He says. We're not willing to accept what He allows. We think of ourselves as above that, better than that, and we don't trust God in those areas of our life. And consequently, what we do is to set ourselves up as our own God. It's kind of like saying, I don't like your rules, Lord, and so, you know, I'll make... I'll make my own rules, live by my own standard, rather than putting our trust in God. So there's a strong connection between unbelief and pride, because it's whenever we put our trust in the Lord and we're depending upon Him, you know, that means more than just what we would refer to as having the kind of faith to step out and to do some difficult task. That involves trusting God to the extent, as I said earlier, that we're willing to do as He commands and to accept what He allows, knowing that, that He never makes a mistake. That His way is always right, always best, and always the safest route to take. And so, God help us, to, as I said, to be peacemakers instead of troublemakers, and to do that, we've got to squash that demon of pride that's in our heart and humble ourselves before the Lord in order that we can effectively minister one to another. Well, we're going to stop there tonight, and Lord willing, we'll pick up in verse 26 next week. And 